This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 191 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. On this week's episode, we'll preview the Panthers' upcoming homecoming matchup with the Thundering Herd of Marshall and then kick off our three-part preview series of the basketball season. But before we do all that, let's hit a little bit of a Sunbelt roundup, shall we? Uh, We're going to go through the happenings of the past week of Sunbelt football, including yesterday's App State Coastal game as of the recording this podcast, and uh, talk about all the fun stuff that we saw on uh, Sunbelt TV this week. So first up, we've got Marshall falling on the road at NC State by a score of 48 to 41. Louisiana hosts Texas State and beats the Bobcats 34-30. Troy hosts Arkansas State, defeating the Red Wolves 37-3. South Alabama travels into Monroe and defeats the Warhawks 55-7. Old Dominion travels it down to Southern Miss and beats the Golden Eagles 17 to 13. And of course, midweek Sunbelt fun as Coastal Carolina beats App State in Boone with a walk-off field goal 27 to 24. Gentlemen, thoughts on this week in the Sunbelt? That that field goal could not have like cut inside the bar any tighter without still being a made field goal. I thought he missed it. Like, I want to curse on the podcast so badly because I thought he missed it and I freaked out. Everything about that game was as I thought it was going to go. There was absolutely no way that 2023 Coastal Carolina and 2023 App State was going to play a normal football game. And then you have to factor in midweek Sunbelt. And then you have to factor in just Sunbelt in general. And don't be confused by the final score being what it was. It absolutely delivered. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, or I did in some spaces on the internet and Twitter space and stuff. Like, Coastal was always going to get someone because McCall, because of the talent they have. They needed to get the run game going. And I kind of had this circle just like, this might be the week because App had been looking kind of susceptible on the run. And the big headline number is somehow a career high of 373 passing yards for Grayson McCall. I was not the only one kind of surprised that that was the career high and that he broke it in this game. But there's 196 rushing yards on 45 attempts, 4.4 yards per carry. And, you know, in two games against FBS opponents this year, Coastal has had more rush attempts than pass attempts. It was this one and against Jacksonville State. And it didn't shock me at all that they won both those games because the offense just felt off kilter. I think a lot of it was that they weren't getting the run game going and the passing that they have has to work off of the defense getting sucked in by the run and stuff getting over the top. And that's what Coastal hit on early in the game. Uh, Grayson McCall got himself a a good down block of two players on that final field goal drive. Um, App had the fumble. Uh, that, that was a crazy sequence because a crazy sequence where turnover on downs and the next play was App hit a big play into the red zone of Coastal but a chase down fumble forced by Coastal. The defender just gets a knee down inbounds with a recovery, and then Coastal goes on the the winning drive. Um, I don't know what this changes for Coastal, except to say that I knew they were going to get someone this year. They weren't going to just lose out, especially in the East. Like it just the way it was going to work out is they were going to show up and have a McCall night app. It still feels like a little bit of a downtrend. Like I know that the natives are a, bit restless after last night and 
I can't really fault them. You know, just it doesn't feel like the same app that it has been, you know, as Georgia State saw them enter the Sun Belt and kind of make it their own. Yeah, there's, you know, their conference schedule right now is one and one. And, you know, if old takes exposed, listens to this podcast, you know, find it. But I really just I see another at least another second, another Sunbelt loss. You know, I don't know how. I don't know where they will kind of find themselves as a team. You know, they still have the program. They still have the pedigree. It just doesn't feel like a team that's going to, you know, all right, we're still app. We're going to run the Sun Belt. You know, they just, they feel like they can be God again. Um, yeah, I don't well, know by play, who, but it's, like, it's not days, a great schedule. In 11 days, they play at Old Dominion, which that will be a real test of like, all right, they just lost. They had to sit with this loss a long time. How do they go? Then they should beat Southern Miss a week later at home. But then their November is Marshall at home, the road trip to Atlanta, going to James Madison, and then ending with a rivalry game against Georgia Southern. So like they need to get these next two, but then their November is brutal anyway. Like that, those are all basically toss-up games. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. Um, and you know, to your point about Coastal, what a weird team, you know? Like you watch them when they're struggling, and you can pretty clearly identify what the problem is. Um And it just, the offense is just not the same. You know, we talked about it when they were playing Georgia State before and after. Just, it's not the same type of offense. But then when they go back to what worked last year, it it goes back to, you know, playing the McCall's strength. It goes back to playing, you know, using, like you said earlier, using the, the pass and feeding off the run, feeding off of the, you know, feeding off the run when you're passing. And it looked so much more fluid when they were actually moving the ball, but then app did a really good job to kind of take away some of the things that they were doing early. So, you know, they still have some kinks to work out in their offense. I, I don't know how likely they are to go to a bowl game. You know, I, I'm not saying they're going to lose out. I, they, you could certainly see three loss or three more wins on their schedule. Um, they've got Arkansas State, Marshall, Old Dominion, Texas State, Army, and JMU left. Um, I can see three wins there. If they're still struggling to run the ball, I can see two wins there. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I, the one thing you could say for them as they're trying to map out their wins is the three best teams they play the rest of the way, Marshall, Texas State, James Madison, those are all their home games. And so you at least are going to get those teams, their home field advantage. And you can maybe at least talk yourself into two of those at home because it's home field, yada, yada. I don't know as a certainty, uh, but they'll certainly feel better about it after putting more of a performance together against App State. And, you know, the other part of it and the other part of why I'm just not sure it's the same App State team is it's been an offensive line for Coastal that hasn't really done much this year and that Georgia State in their game won in the trenches against. And they were getting movement against App. And, you know, the reason why, among everything else, App State has beaten Georgia State every time they've played is that they have had a defensive front that has just won in just about every matchup, sometimes in a major fashion. And so as App is looking to find it again, they've got some issues where they were having some miscommunications with the secondary and they weren't really getting wins in you know in the trenches of the line of scrimmage and so other than that how was the defense miss lincoln like it isn't a great spot to be in and so it we've seen them climb out of holes before and so i'm not going to shovel any dirt until you know it's over but 
that was another reason why I looked at this as kind of a pretty seismic game and how I read at least one of the teams in this game. And I'll pivot to the Sunbelt West momentarily. Um, all right. Troy is the class. Totally fine. You know, we know this. They played Georgia State in the Panthers last game. I, you know, halfway through that Texas State Louisiana game, I was like, man, Texas State is like they, they had it. They look good. They had it. They did have it. And I I got in right before the end there. Um, so I didn't really see the full fourth quarter where Louisiana came back, but Louisiana absolutely came back. And I mean, look, Troy, Troy seems like they're back to Troy, um, the Troy of last year. They've still got to play their Sunbelt West opponents. Fine. This race in the Sunbelt West, should Troy drop a game, um, depending on who they drop it to, could get very interesting. Uh, they obviously honestly, still would have to have the tiebreaker, but honestly, I want the I want them to drop to someone who is not Louisiana or Texas State or South Alabama. I don't know how that's possible, but just so that no one has the tiebreaker over them, just to make it an extra bit more to where like all of those teams have to beat them by a game. Uh, the only option for that would be Southern Miss. Um, I. Uh, I, I do not have high hopes for this. I, just, <laughs> I was, about I, I was to just say, throwing it out there. Given um, given the way that that year is trending uh, for the Golden Eagles, good luck is what I'll say. November football is weird is what I'll say. Um, but yeah, good luck. Yeah, that's the other one is like that was that they had to have it because Southern Miss now one in five after losing at home to ODU. Very winnable game. They only lost by four. They now go on the road twice. They go to South Alabama for the next Tuesday game next week. And then they head to Boone, like I talked about earlier. And that's a game that even with apps issues at home against a pretty just messy, not clicking together Southern Miss team, doesn't feel like a recipe for a road upset. And at that point, you'd be entering November's nothing to play for. One in seven, four more games, but can't get to a bowl game. And a real backward step after it felt like they were poised for at least having the same season again this year. Cause they went to a bowl last year. Like maybe they weren't going to get to 10 wins this year, but given where they have been in the last decade, which was below the standards of where that program has been just historically, I feel like at least another seven win season would have felt like progress because it wouldn't have been this. Um, and so I don't really know where they go from here uh, this year or going forward. It's, not the type of year you want to have when you're in year three with a coach, uh, but they're the golden eagles. They're the golden eagles are, and we'll see how it goes. Um, I did want to slide one more thing before we talk about the rest of it is for Georgia State's purposes. We talked about it when they got the tiebreaker. Coastal is their best friend right now because they've got that East win against Coastal. Who, if they got to a tiebreaker, Georgia State would win the head-to-head, and so. Coastal beating App, Coastal going and beating you know Marshall, whoever it is, all of those are gravy for Georgia State, and it would be this kind of the same deal if they get a win this weekend against Marshall. That you know, if you have those pivotal tiebreakers, you could drop another game, but it might not cost you the Sun Belt East if you're able to just have it be that one game, and you've got some head to heads that prove important. Yeah, you know, I, I will talk about Marshall and I don't want to get ahead of myself, obviously, but I also can just state, you know, a couple of facts. Um, I'm not sure that three conference losses gets it done, just given where things are. 
But the schedule does kind of lay out advantageously for Georgia State to drop a couple more games. Eh, and it I, not I haven't be... played that game. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, finish. let me finish. Let me finish. I, okay. It the schedule lines up where Georgia State could if they could if they drop Louisiana and James Madison and win tiebreakers over everybody else, they could still be in a great position to go and it not be and not be an issue. And the reason I say that is because Coastal still has two conference losses today. If they get another one, Georgia State still has the tiebreaker on them. If Georgia State is beating all of those other teams, even if Georgia State is beating Marshall Louis. Marshall, Georgia Southern, App State, and Old Dominion, they're probably good enough to win the James Madison and Louisiana game anyways. So that's the reason why I feel confident saying that. But you're right that, you know, depending on how things shake out, having the tiebreaker against Coastal is great. You know, they need to go continue to beat teams, obviously. But in the Sunbelt East, you know, having the tiebreakers and winning your division by like one game is probably going to be how things are from here on out in this ridiculous division in conference. Yeah. I just don't see hardly any worlds where three losses is the winner in the East. I just think that someone's going to get through at least with two, you know, James Madison, not part of this because they could win out and it doesn't matter. Um, but point taken that if they just win strategically, some games, if they drop another one here, or there, it might not matter as much, but, uh, it's still in October and we're having this conversation at all. So that in itself is kind of a win. Um, we'll see. Obviously, it may or may not continue past this week, depending on how this game goes. But uh, the other team we didn't really touch on, uh, South Alabama looks good again. And I just do it in multiple weeks in a row. Like that, my thing is like, okay, you went and hammered uh, Oklahoma State. You followed that up by losing to Central Michigan. You got a little bit back on track. Uh, I guess looked a little bit better against James Madison down the stretch, but still didn't really go great in that game. So, okay, now you did what you're supposed to against ULM. Won there for the first time in your program's history. Play Southern Miss next Tuesday. It's another team that you should have the advantage on. Do it again. And then you play Louisiana and Troy, and that's kind of where the season's going to turn for them. But we, I've seen them put a really good performance together this year, so I'm holding off on being like, up, oh, Jags are back. But... They at least did this to get back on course. And the best thing you can say for them is that losing to Central Michigan and losing to Tulane doesn't have a single impact on them winning the Sun Belt. Weren't encouraging games and you wanted to win against Central Michigan and you wanted to be more competitive against Tulane, but only one of the three losses they have so far actually matters as far as the Sun Belt. And they've still got everything in front of them as the old cliche that every coach is going to use as it hits October, November, um, but got to put together some everything week to week. I'm I'm just telling you, like this this conference is really really fun right now. I mean, yeah, Troy kind of looks back to being the class, and you know, obviously James Madison still looks good, but I I really feel like we could make an argument for like five of these teams right now to actually host the trophy, you know, come December. Like, that's great. You know, I, obviously it's October, you know, we're entering the middle of the month. So, you know, things will kind of clarify in a few weeks as teams continue to play each other. But like this, this is the fun time. Yeah. And even if someone is out of the picture, they're still going to be playing someone in their division in November like someone like Coastal or someone who is currently in the running but might move out of it in the next couple of weeks. Could be Georgia State, could be, you know, Marshall, whoever it is. 
the team that shows up for that game on the other side that still needs to win to stay in the race still has to go through a good team. And like that's kind of the state of the Sunbelt now, that there just is not going to be hardly any weeks off. And that's what makes it a lot of fun to follow. And it's kind of the same this week. You got, alongside Marshall, Georgia State, you got Georgia Southern going up to James Madison. Going to be a banger. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about this weekend's contest homecoming game hosting Marshall Saturday at 7 p.m. in Center Park Stadium live on ESPN2. Both teams entering this game 4-1 and one on the year. The Herd are led by Coach Charles Huff in his third season in Huntington. He's compiled a 20-11 and 11 record to date. As mentioned earlier, Marshall's coming off of a 49-42 defeat at NC State, but earlier in the year, they knocked off another ACC opponent in Virginia Tech, 24-17 at home. Georgia State lost last year's regular season finale 28-23 at Marshall, the only previous time these teams have met on the gridiron. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the Thundering Herd? First off, just about the game time and a buried thing we haven't actually talked about on here, I don't think, but the Night Panthers uh, with this game and the Georgia Southern night kick on Thursday uh, after this, or after Louisiana game, uh, with the announcement of the Louisiana game being at 8 p.m., uh, Georgia State won't play a day game until at least November. And even then, these games might keep getting flexed to night games on ESPN network stuff. So, like, I may never be leaving the stadium on the same day that I've arrived at the stadium. Yeah, it was funny because after uh, I was, you know, doing my just like planning um, and I was like, oh, okay, night game, night game. And I was like, wait, have I seen Georgia State play like in actual sunlight? Like not like twilight but actual sunlight and i was like wait a minute and then i remember saying something to you i was like all right if louisiana is at night you know it'll be until november and you were like yeah they usually like playing at night so maybe and sure enough there it is that they're gonna play a night game um which you know is fine i think the schedule has been pretty advantageous um for us to take in some early stuff and then still be able to watch the Panthers. Um, but it's, it's, it's nice to see that recognition. I think a lot of people coming into last season, were talking about the Sun Belt as like, all right, this is about to be the G five conference. Um, and I don't want to say that the production didn't match that. I just think that there was still, you know, some growth to have. Um, but the more that you're being put on these actual on big boy ESPN, you know, on the ESPN networks, ESPN two, ESPN U, and people are able to see on cable or you know through whatever uh, subscription that they have to get live TV, that's good. You know, that visibility can never go wrong. Yeah, going from the coastal game that Thursday. Um, this game on ESPN2 got flexed to it um, alongside Georgia Southern, James Madison getting on big ESPN at noon on the same day. Next week, they'll be on ESPNU when they go to Louisiana. And then the Thursday after that on ESPN2. I feel like there was a stretch during 2020 because not every league was playing. So it worked out for the Sunbelt to place like multiple TV games in a stretch. But I can't remember anything like Georgia State being on national TV in four of five games like this. And the only one they dropped so far was the one that wasn't on national TV. Uh, that streak will be at risk this week and then everyone after that. But uh, put on a good show in, in Conway on Thursday. You have another chance on Saturday. And like you say, I mean, this is still, I think for a lot of people, not around Atlanta, not around the Sun Belt, 
an introduction. You know, you're catching people every time you're on one of the big channels, even if they're just scrolling or looking for a game when theirs is on commercial might be the first introduction for a lot of them to Georgia state football. And you're getting an opportunity of that four out of five weekends in the middle of the season when everyone's watching college football, absolute boon for the Panthers. Uh, Another chance on Saturday to take advantage of that with this game that I I thought it'd be a slight martial edge when the, the odds came out and ended up being Georgia State uh, minus two. And it's basically hovered between like minus one, one and a half. Um, really tight game. Should be a really good game. On paper, lines up to be really interesting to follow. It certainly will be interesting. Um, I think... I mean, you know, let's face it. We don't have to talk about the games ahead, but this is really the point in Georgia State's season where you can say, okay, it's go time. This is when we will find out if the earliest part of the season was, you know, the competition or if they are a good team. Um, I am of the opinion that they are a good team. You know, good teams sometimes drop games. I'm not saying they're going to drop the Marshall game, um, but I also think Marshall is a good team. I think, you know, Marshall has, they have certainly gotten a bit better at scoring Um Earlier in the season, they started games on offense a little bit slow. Um, they played U, the University of Albany. They had a three-point deficit at halftime, scoring zero points. Um, they won that game. Um, against Eastern Carolina, they went into halftime tied at 10, um, but they didn't score in the first quarter. All 10 of those points came in the second quarter. Um and they've gotten better the last two weeks. It's definitely something that either they have noticed or um, maybe the opponents. They're not, you know, going without scoring in the first quarter. I think it took them I until think their third week. The thing that they're doing is they're hitting on some explosives, which we're familiar with is what George State's been doing. Certainly true. You know, I saw I, I got a chance to watch, you know, a little bit of the ODU game just to kind of see how ODU moved the ball. Um, and while Marshall Marshall only scored three in the first quarter, um, they still were able to move the ball a good bit, I would say, in the first quarter. It just didn't result in a ton. There's of a points. red zone pick in there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much of the game plan will stay the same. Um, you know, and it was a few weeks ago too. Um, but yeah, like it, I think that was the first thing that I noticed kind of looking at Marshall and kind of looking at where they have been over the season. You know, if Georgia state's defense is, um, if it's capable of being the defense that we've seen prior to the Troy game, you know, finding a way to stop Marshall from scoring early, um, it, it could help them just could, given how Georgia state has started games, um, as effectively as they've moved the ball. Yeah, I mean, you do raise a point that it does line up with somewhere. With, I mean, even the Troy game, they lost the, thir- the first quarter, but it was by three points. Like, they still are 35-6 and six in first quarters in 2023. And so, if they're able to keep Marshall slow out of the gates, it's going to be important, especially if they can get on some explosives. And, like, that is – I mentioned it because I think that is where the game is going to kind of turn on, is that both of these teams are offenses that – have had an ability to hit on some big plays, Georgia State especially. Um, I think Georgia State's going to need some of those on Saturday. and I, But I also think that the way they can break the trend is by putting some drives together against Marshall defense, which is going to be hard because 
they under Saturday, opponents have, are 23% on third downs. It's a team that's forced 10 turnovers. Uh, eight of them are interceptions. And so I'm, in a way, I'm kind of glad you had that moment where Darren bad picks against Troy game kind of got away because of turnovers. Um, we weren't like continuing to go into this game being like, is there going to be a turnover? Because there's every chance there could be in this game, but it almost helps to have that performance right before that. I expect we'll see a crisper Darren um, having gone through that last game and making some adjustments, but it's, it's going to be interesting to watch the offensive plan. And the thing that I noticed and I guess the explosives for Marshall are really more on the defensive side that I noticed that last year they allowed 92 rushing yards a game. And this year, their numbers are a bit inflated. They're near the back half of the conference in rushing yards allowed. And part of that was because the last couple of weeks, they've been a little bit leaky. Uh, ODU had a 60-something quarterback run. Uh, and then one running back had three 60-plus yard runs uh, later in the game. I think two or three of them were scores. I don't believe. Um, I don't remember if it was all of them were touchdowns or just two of them were, but big plays. And it was just inside zone. And the quarterback one was a quarterback kind of zone read thing, which Georgia state probably isn't going to have to work too hard to get that in the playbook. It was, uh, it was literally it. just the Darren play. Like I, you know, obviously we watch Georgia state more than anybody. And, you know, it's so easy to, you know, do the boss baby bit where you just compare anything to the thing that, you know, but like, Oh, you just went empty set and just ran straight through the middle of the field. The lesson maybe learned from the Troy game and, Going back to last week's pod, I kind of went through what I saw and the numbers and how Troy kind of totally took away that empty set stuff that was working so well earlier in the season. Marshall's another smart defense, and they got good players, and they're going to be keyed in on stuff. And so I think you're going to have to see a wrinkle off of what didn't work last week because you know if you're going to do the same thing again, it's a good chance another good defense is going to be ready for it. Um, you've you've got to find a way to go against tendency and hit one of these shot plays. Um, but I think if you're looking at it and you see those inside zones, just the, the, the same type of base runs that Georgia State runs 20 times a game, we're going for big plays against this Marshall defense not that long ago. That does give you a encouraging sign because I think when you had this game circled ahead of the season, you know, going into the season, it'd be like, all right, Georgia State's going to need to win this one 13-10, because that's kind of the house style of game Marshall had been playing a lot of the last year. And they've been doing a good job of it because this NC State game was the first loss in almost a calendar year for them. Uh, they've been a good team and they really hit their stride down the stretch last year. And you got to be ready for them to come out of disappointing loss, ready to go and ready to go on that run. Because, you know, we've talked about what this is going to mean for Georgia State as far as hitting the stretch run of conference play. Marshall is in the exact same place, except they're 1-0 in conference. So this would be a chance to go 2-0, get another one of those tiebreakers we were talking about earlier. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard to see where the edge is unless someone makes some mistakes. Um, I think it's going to be kind of a the, – the explosives will even out a bit, and it's going to come down to fourth quarter play, um, which last year was the downfall of Georgia State. This year – it's been a strength that they've been able to close out games stronger. And so I guess you feel a little bit better about that going in because this team has been more ready for that moment. 
Yeah, I think, you know, in compiling that note that Marshall has started, you know, started games off kind of slowly, I kind of landed on the take that Marshall ends games pretty strongly. Um, but I, I I don't think you can sit there and say that Georgia State doesn't finish games so far this year. You know, obviously they didn't score in the second half against Troy. Troy, fine. You know, and I think I, I can't remember which game it was specifically, but I believe there was a game where they, you know, it was so the game was so put away that they didn't UConn. score a taunt. Yeah, UConn, thank yeah. you. Um, you know, I think you could look at the stats and say, ah, oh, they only scored 14 points in the second half against UConn. They had a 21 to 0 halftime lead. UConn didn't score until the fourth. Like, yeah, Georgia State only scored, you know, it took them until four minutes left in the third quarter to score in the second half, and they didn't score again through halfway through the fourth quarter. But, like, that game was over. Function like, both functionally and, you know, just by the map. Like, that game was pretty much over. Um, so, yeah, I think Georgia State has been in a situation so far this year outside of the one game that they've lost where they have played strong in the second half. They have been able to put teams away, you know, when teams have kind of come back. Um, And, you know, the one thing that I will say that I'm curious about is I'm really curious about how the Panthers defense responds. You know, I think last week, you know, we talked about how the defense was kind of left out there to dry, um, based on the offense, not finding ways to punch it in, you know, they were able to stop Troy um, given the turnovers. Uh, They, you know, I think Troy only had 10 points off turnovers last week and it definitely could have been more. Um, (laughs) Zero on the one that started in the plus 25. Exactly. Um, You know, if if you look at that game as if it was seven instead of the 28 to seven, fine. Um, I think that the fact that the defense in your eyes gave you gave up 21 points really shows you that this is absolutely a good defense. Rhode Island is still the only team that has scored 30 points or more on Georgia State. If Georgia State holds Marshall under 30, I see a great path for the Panthers to win. I really do. You know, I think I just the Darren decision making. Darren is such a good decision maker. It has been like the the thing that you know people talk about is the weight. And yes, absolutely, it's great. His decision making this year has been even better. And I know that he has never been a bad decision maker, but it's been even better. It was like a last year Darren with the interceptions because there wasn't enough on them. Exactly, not been the problem this year. It just it was two underthrows that at exact moments you could not have those exact underthrows. Exactly. And, you know, it's been, what was their last game? The 20, the 30th, you know, it's been 11 days. It'll be, this game will happen on the 14th. They've been resting, you know, I'm sure they've had good practices. Your mind is still capable of being smart when your body is taking a break. So, you know, I really think that Darren kind of gets back into the, yeah, I'm not turning over this football like he has been this year, because I mean, it has been, one of the the decisive factors in Georgia State's 4-0 start. Literally the one game that they turn over, an actual turnover problem, was the one game that they lost. Yeah, I mean, Marshall has 10 of them. They have a streak of two straight games with pick sixes, not just interceptions. And so it's not that I think that it's impossible he's going to throw one. I think it's possible there'll be a turnover the number maybe doesn't matter as much to me as I just think Georgia State's got to win it. They got to win the margin. 
If they commit one, okay, I think the defense is going to need to convert two. You get two. And creating havoc is maybe the biggest thing that they were not doing against Troy in amongst a lot of good things. We talked about that last week, that they didn't have a sack. They didn't really push Watson off of his uh, rocking chair. And so they weren't able to get one of those plays to combat the turnovers that Troy was getting. So I almost, after saying, I think Darren's going to be better. Still wouldn't shock me if someone has a turnover in this game for Georgia State, just because it's what Marshall has been doing really well. They are an aggressive defense, especially on the back end, and they are looking to make these plays. And they are look up with their eyes, seeing what's happening with the plays. Both of those pick sixes were like in the flat or like just past line of scrimmage, where a guy just made it a read before the receiver did and beat the guy to the ball. So like like a, a screen pass for NC State that the corner just got in front of the guy who was getting the screen and just took it and had green space in front of him. Uh, you got to be ready for that. You got to be smart with your decisions again, but okay. Even if they get one, you got to get one defense. You got to get another one after that. You got to win. I just think it's the cliche and you always circle like the one of like three things. And this week I'm going with the turnover margin. Like, of course the turnover margin is going to matter, but I just think that it would be, if they win the turnover margin, I think it would at least suggest to me that they got it mostly under control. Like I'm not foreseeing a game where whoever wins the turnover margin is going to be plus one when they commit four turnovers. But it would also suggest that the defense has gotten back to being disruptive. And that's going to be important for this game, but also just going forward and finding that next level. Because I think you're right. I've been pleasantly surprised with the steps the defense has taken in year one under Chad Staggs, especially considering he didn't have a spring practice. He did the install in fall. I was like, when I did my preseason, like realistic expectations, I was like, I think he knocked three points off the point per game in his first year as a DC at Coastal from that previous year. And I said, okay, just go for that. Now, right now, Georgia State's sitting at 23 points per game allowed. And, and it gets better if you remove the FCS game, which is not how it works for most people's stats. But that's how Georgia State played it this year. It's like 21 against FBS opponents. And so it's been a big step forward. I think that thing that is going to take those additional points off that's going to mean the difference between Georgia State being a player in the East or not, you're going to have some more impact plays. And so going to be important to get that this weekend because you're going to be facing a defense that that's kind of their calling card is doing that type of stuff. And so as far as the, the defensive battle, that's the thing I'm looking at for sure. And it might be the thing that ultimately decides the game. And, you know, just the kind of a final point. Um, one thing that I noticed last night that I feel like has been missing in at least the last two Georgia state games, um, specifically the Troy loss, um, and then their game right prior to that, I believe it was coastal special teams for Georgia state has not been like it was, um, it's not been bad by any stretch. Um, but you can definitely tell when a team is able to be activated by special teams. And I'd like that to kind of go back to the early season trends that we were seeing of it actually being, you know, of some use. And I will, I will give Coastal and Troy credit. There were a lot of kicks that ended up, you know, for touchbacks. There was a lot that they did well um, to prevent, you know, Georgia State's gunners and runners from being able to get, you know, loose on punts. Um, 
But, you know, special teams definitely needs to be something that Georgia State kind of increases because you really saw how helpful it was early in the season when they were able to get, you know, get good kicks off and when they were able to get good returns off. And just the last thing for me about this game is like, I think it is fair to say some of the sheen has been taken off of the Coastal win because it, it is clear that it is not the same Coastal team. It's on the road, it still counts. It's still an important win. I thought they played well. But I can understand if fans listening to this were disappointed with how they looked against Troy, and it's going to put another big star next to this game because if you lose this game after losing to Troy, you're four and two, but it felt like you just dropped the two games that if you were making a step, it'd be games you'd at least split. And so as far as like what they're looking to do, losing here would be pretty dire for the East chances because you'd be at two losses already with still a month and a half to go. It wouldn't really affect your chance of going to a bowl, but I do understand that like a five and one entering Louisiana week is going to feel a lot different than four and two. And it's going to feel like, yes, this team is still making that step, even though they had a little bit of a road bump against Troy, a speed bump against Troy. Um, So I don't think that that's all unfair. Like I think that it is an important week to kind of regain that feeling in the fan base that things are moving not just back to making a bowl game, but past that. And uh, this will be, you know, it's going to be a dogfight. Really excited to be there for this. I think it's going to be a fun game. Glad to the national audience. Uh, but come hell or high water, Georgia State finds a way to win this one. One game away from bowl eligibility. There's a couple games to go in October. Still in control of your destiny in the East. And, you know, getting one against a team that people who follow football know that Marshall is a respectable, good program and that is going to be a player in the Sunbelt East basically every season has a real good history. It would be for the people that I've talked about earlier that maybe don't know Georgia State. It's a win that you can go, hey, Georgia State's beating Marshall. They're they're doing something. Do you happen to know off the top of your head the earliest Georgia State has uh, clinched bowl eligibility? It's okay if you don't, but I'm just curious if you know. Um, It would have been 2017 when they beat Texas State, uh, Sean Elliott's first year, right? Like November 4th, something like that? Troy 2019. I figured it out in my second answer. Yes, Troy 2019. uh, Troy at the end of October in 2019. If we're honest, if we can allow ourselves to roll back to that time, without Dan's injury, I think that win felt like a lot what a win this week against Marshall would feel like. Cause it felt like when they were six and two in that game, now that I have the right answer in my head and I remember in the time they're six and two at that point, they had rolled through October and it felt like they're going to make that jump. Troy had been kind of that established team. They weren't as good that year, but they had previously been very good and it felt like a real arrival point. Obviously Dan's injury hampered that some, but that's almost what I mean is it feels like it could be one of those games for this program. It certainly does, you know, win this week and you're, you're in a good spot. That's all I'm going to say. You're just in a good spot. And um, I may or may not listen to find out if Jordan makes me look smart or if he leaves the wrong answer in there. I'm fine with him leaving the wrong answer in and this where I'm saying I'm fine with leaving the wrong answer in. I'm okay being wrong on recorded podcast. It's fine. Got to keep you honest somehow, right? <laughs> well, 
All that being said, we'll see what unfolds this Saturday at 7 p.m. in Center Park Stadium. But for now, let's go ahead and switch gears and move on to basketball. We're going to start the first part of our three-part series uh, previewing the players returning and joining for the basketball season as we look forward to that team getting back in action. So let's go ahead this week and talk about returning players. First up, you have Dwan Odom, 13.1 points per game, 3.9 assists per game, tied for the team lead with 28 steals in 29 games last season. Next up, Brendan Tucker, 12.9 points per game, 39.6% from the floor, 31.5% from three. Next up, Jermaine Mann, 10.8 points per game, 5.1 rebounds per game, 32.4% from three. And finally, the big man, Edward Namoko, 1.8 points per game, 3.6 rebounds per game, and 18 blocks in 28 games during his freshman year last season. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the returners in this year's men's basketball team? Yeah, so that wasn't a long list. That was four players. There are only four players that are back from last year's team. And so, as I think we kind of started talking about last time we brought up basketball, like there are a lot of parallels to last year where there's a lot of new faces. The thing that's different is that I think that whereas the guys that we had coming back, you know, talking about Evan Johnson, um, the guy is some of the guys on the bench, um, Jaheim Hudson, even, even though he had taken kind of a step, it was guys you were projecting a lot on. It's like, all right, this is their team now, so let's see what they do if they can do this. And honestly, I think it works backwards with at least the first three of those guys where I think we're going to see them play less minutes than they did last year. I think it's going to be for the benefit of all of them, especially Dewan, Because, you know, by the end of last year, like the best formula for Georgia State to win games, which obviously wasn't a good enough formula, they lost a lot of them down the stretch, was playing five, six guys and playing Dewan especially almost the entire game. And uh, he had been dealing with some injury stuff through the year anyway, but I think playing so many minutes was meaning you were just getting so much of a less good version of what he can do. And the other part of it was you didn't have shooting. And so teams sagged off and didn't give him the lanes that he was having in the early non-conference. And so I've said it a few times, I think, but I'm really interested to do what he interested to see what he looks like with a team that's able to shoot it better because if you can't play the, type, the same type of defenses that other teams were doing to Georgia State last year, he's going to get so many more easier buckets than he was getting. And I think it's going to help his confidence out to make the tougher ones. All of it, I think, will improve his ability. And so, whereas last year, like I, I don't care as much about the lack of returning because one, it was a 10-win team. And so, you can't lose that much that was great from a team that lost so many games. But I think that you've got kind of a core that have been through this and that they are the ones going to instill the rest of it upon the new guys and the standard and how practice goes and coach and all that. And I think they're going to be benefited by the guys we'll talk about in parts two and three of this series. Yeah. I mean, and to be candid, I think the only player that you can really talk about, that was a, a there's two players that you would look at last year. Yeah, that's probably a loss. Colin Moore, you know, when he finally was activated, you know, about halfway through the season, you know, he definitely provided Huge. a spark that I think it led Georgia State to being more competitive in games, but very clearly it was not enough to win. Um, and then Jaheim Hudson, I think, you know, coming into last year, we expected him to be, you know, an all Sun Belt. Uh, like uh, upper, upper all Sun Belt type talent. Um 
and you know i just it just never materialized so yeah I, you know i think <laughs> i think there's a lot of people who would look at the four returning players as a bad thing but like you won 10 games last year um you know at the end of the day you are what you are um but i will say who is returning has an opportunity to really put Georgia state a good foot forward for Georgia state either this year, you know, and you know, as they kind of figure out this period of transition is what I'm calling it. Um, you, you know, I don't know. I don't know what Georgia state is going to be. I think, you know, same way to how we talked about football um, in the off season, they have addressed a lot of the, issues that they had last year you know and we'll talk about that you know when we talk about the other players um is that does that mean that you know odom and tucker are going to be able to have the space to kind of do the things that you know make their game shine i hope so you know i think that's ideally that's what you want you know you can certainly see the vision um is edward namoko gonna take that you know has the game slowed down in his mind and is, is he able to use his body to kind of be that big and use those physical tools that you can absolutely see on the basketball court um, to be an effective big man? I hope so. You know, I think, you know, I think that there is certainly talent there. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I think that the four that are returned, you know, there was definitely bright spots last year out of all of them. Um, so if they're able, if they're capable of taking a step forward, uh, you know, as long as the newcomers are capable of doing what we expect them to do, I think it's not going to be as, it certainly will not be as bad of a team as it was last year. Yeah. And you know, they added some other shooters to where like, I think Jermaine Mann and Brendan Tucker can be reliable enough three point shooters. I also think it is a good thing that they are, you look at this team, maybe the fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth best shooters, quote unquote, that you're going to rely on for like the volume of shots that they're going to take. Because I think that they can both hit more in the mid to high 30s, at least on their percentages. And especially if there's other guys running to corners and giving them better looks, you know, all of that, just like it will help with Dewan, it's going to help with them as well. Uh, but the thing with Ed is, you know, and Jonas had said that freshman DK Manuel is dealing with the lower leg thing. Don't know how long that is, but you know, Josh Taylor was a guy who was going to transfer from ETSU, ended up not getting a waiver, not coming to Georgia State as a result. He wasn't going to be able to play. And so, you know, with him being injured, he brought in Jaden Turner and Leslie and Carolyn, who we'll talk about next week. A little bit thin, even if DK is healthy. And so you're definitely looking in the early season for Ed to kind of take a step. But I guess the reason why... I'd feel a little bit less scared about that is how many times do we see that big immediately take a big step up in on-court competence in year two? Like, especially in the front court, it is just an adjustment period. You are not used to being against guys that are your size or bigger <laughs> like they are at the D1 level. And the Sunbelt had some really good bigs last year and Ed kind of got thrown in on some of these games. You know, he's down there guarding Jordan Brown who makes anyone look... Uh, you know, look foolish. And he actually had a good game against Jordan Brown down in Louisiana. And so you saw the little bit of flashes. The thing with him is just going to be not getting a foul a minute or, you know, whatever it what actually was. It's like he got into some foul trouble in very short stints. And that's obviously going to be something that's going to have to be cleaned up. But he was the guy they brought in, you know, in last class as a freshman. Uh, I think there's reasons to think he can take a step forward. And 
might be someone that's going to be counted on, whether it's the full season or whether it's just this early stretch, um, depending on how long DK is out. Um, certainly going to be pressed into duty again this year. All right. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode. But before we get you out of here, let's talk about everything happening in Georgia State Athletics this week. Today, as of the release of this podcast, volleyball travels up to Harrisonburg, Virginia to face James Madison at 6 p.m. That match will be on ESPN+. Moving on to Friday, volleyball plays James Madison again at 5 p.m. And then men's soccer hosts Georgia Southern at the GSU Soccer Complex at 7 p.m., that match will be on ESPN+. Plus. Moving on to f- Saturday, women's cross-country travels down to Statesboro for the Georgia Southern Fall Classic starting at 8.50 a.m., while women's soccer travels up to Huntington, West Virginia to face Marshall at 6 p.m. That match will be on ESPN+. Plus. And the big one, the homecoming game, football versus Marshall in Center Park Stadium at 7 p.m. on ESPN2 and WRSFM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call there. And then... The only other thing happening in the athletics calendar this upcoming week is on Wednesday the 18th. Men's soccer travels to Lexington, Kentucky to face the Wildcats at 7 p.m. in Sunbelt soccer action. But that's all we got for this week. Have a fantastic rest of your week. Hope to see you Saturday for the homecoming football game. Brady and I will be there as usual. Until then, have a great week and go Panthers.